Um, now, as we jump into uh, today's uh, text, First um, Peter 5, we're, we're kind of picking up where we left off last week. And I want to ask you, have you ever sat there in church and maybe the pastor's speaking and preaching a message and you felt like uh, the pastor is speaking directly to you? Like, like the, the message was, was prepared with just you in mind uh, and you're like wondering, like, how does the pastor know? Well, we have a special elite forces team that goes around following you throughout the week who reports back to us and says, hey, you need to mention this in your message. No, uh, just kidding. That's not how that works. Uh, typically, when we are preaching or we're preparing a sermon, uh, we do not have a specific person in mind. So if you feel like a, a message is aimed directly at you, uh, that is by the grace of the Holy Spirit working in your life right then and there. But I want to let you to know that today's message is going to be a little different because this message is directly aimed at eight specific people. All of you are like, is it me? <laughs> I see a few of you starting to sweat a little bit. Uh, and, and matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and name these eight people. It's like, uh-oh, the pastor's calling people out now. Here are the eight people that this uh, sermon is, is directly aimed at. Pastor Terrence, Pastor Nick. Pastor Fred, Pastor Ty, if he goes back and listens, myself, and to our three elder candidates, Andrew Gatz, Brandon Cannell Coburn, and Gary Brunetti, this message is directly aimed at you. And the rest of you can breathe a sigh of relief now. It's like, you didn't call my name. Okay, that's good. Um, now, hearing that this message is not directly aimed specifically at you, you might be tempted to put in your AirPods and start scrolling through TikTok or catch up on your Twitter feed or even get up and go home. Um, but I want you to know, uh, to, I want to encourage you to continue to listen anyway. That even though this message is not aimed directly at you, that this sermon today is very much relevant for you as the church. So if you would, grab your Bibles and turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to pick up there. Uh, now, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love for you to have one. So we have tables all around the gathering center that have Bibles stacked on top of them. Uh, if you want a Bible, you can just get up right now and go grab one. No one's going to look at you weird or funny, uh, but you can just go grab one. We also have Bibles out there at Centerpoint as well. Now, what we've been doing is we've been walking through this uh, letter of First of Peter, and we're really we're coming to the end of the letter. We're coming to the end of this series. We're going to be wrapping it up here in a few weeks. And what Peter's been doing is he's been writing to... Um, a group of churches, and he's been trying to encourage them as they have been suffering and being persecuted and they're being insulted for their faith in Jesus. And what Peter does in his letter this week is he begins to uh, focus in on a specific group of people. Uh, at this point, uh, Peter has just kind of been addressing the church as a whole, but Peter now kind of says, all right, I'm going to address specific people in this letter, and who he addresses today is the leaders of the church. Now, even though Lee, uh, Peter is directly addressing the elders, he expects that as this letter is being led, uh, read aloud, that the church, the gathered church is present and that they are hearing this as well. And so Peter uh, believes that this is going to be not only benefit the elders, but it's going to be a benefit to the church to hear what he has to say to the leaders of the church, and I'm also confident that what you hear today is going to be of benefit to you as well. 
because I believe the benefit to you is that this passage can help you inform your prayers for us as pastors. This passage can uh, inform how you can encourage us as your leaders. And so I very much want you to know that this text absolutely, it matters. It matters to you and how the church of God matters. How the church of God is led matters. Now, if you think about it, every, uh, every community has some form of leadership. Uh, kids that are getting together on the playground to maybe play a game of ball or whatever that is, uh, there's always some leaders. Some, someone has to lead and pick the teams and say, this is how long we're going to play and this is going to be the rules in which we're going to play by. Uh, if there's a volunteer project, someone has to lead that up. Someone has to kind of lead the volunteers and say, hey, this is where we're going to serve. This is how long we're going to serve. If there's any problems arise, it kind of needs to be a focal point in that. Uh, even in a book club, right? Someone leads in the book club. Someone has to pick out the book. Someone uh, has to say, this is how fast we are going to go through the book. And someone has to kind of lead out the discussion that kind of goes along with that. And so the question really for us today is not, are we going to have leaders? But the question is, is what kind of leaders are we going to have? And what I most really want you to see, church, today is that Jesus, by appointing leaders in his church, this is God's way of caring for you, of loving you, and making sure that you're being looked after until he returns. So what kind of leaders are we to have as a church? What is the model for church leadership? Well, let's look here at 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as, as, well as a partaker in the glory that is, to be, that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, Peter here, he's addressing the leaders of the church. And he's addressing them specifically. And, and right here in this, this, first, uh, this um, first couple of verses, he gives us this model of church leadership. He, he gives us this model for how the church is to be led. And before we look at what model that we find in Scripture, I want to kind of set this up for us by, by giving us a picture of three uh, flawed models that we see of church leadership. Uh, these are not biblical models, uh, even though we may find them uh, widely practiced within the church still to this day. Uh, the first uh, model is the, the anointed leader model. This is where uh, the pastor is on a whole other spiritual level than the rest of the church. Uh, the pastor, he's God's man, he's God's anointed one, and the pastor is kind of untouchable, and like to question that pastor means you're, you're questioning God himself. Uh, usually this is a, a solo kind of leader, and everything has to run through this particular leader in order for anything to happen. Now, can God use this type of leadership model in the church? Absolutely he can. God can use uh, flawed models of leadership. God uses flawed things all the time. I mean, look at us, right? That's all he has to work with is flawed things. And so, yes, God can use this model of leadership, but is it biblical? It's not. Uh, secondly, we see a, a hierarchy model. Uh, churches that are led this way kind of have like a, a pyramid type leadership structure in which there are 
uh, deacons and priests and archbishops and cardinals and so on. Uh, and the problem with this model is that the higher that you go in the hierarchy of leadership, the leaders become more and more removed from the people. Where, where, where you end up with church leaders who are not connected to a, a local body of people that they are called to lead. Now, can God use this model of leadership? Absolutely, he can. But this is not the model that we see in Scripture. Uh, this third model is the CEO board model. It's where there is like a, a lead senior pastor, and he acts like a, a CEO over the organization. And then there's this board of directors that kind of make sure the pastor's hitting his metrics and doing what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, and, and so what we see in this is what happens in churches like this, where it's kind of set up this way, is that churches that are structured like businesses often tend to look and feel and function a lot like a business. Now, can God use this model of leadership? Absolutely he can. But this too is not really what we see in Scripture. Uh, so what is the model that we see in Scripture? So look back here at verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you. First, we see that there is a group of people called the elders. Uh, and I want you to notice that the, the word there, elders, is plural and, and not singular. So it's not, so I exhort the elder among you. It's I exhort the elders among you. So there's this, a group of people who are leading the church. So who are these elders? Well, go ahead and look in verse 2. And it says, elders are to shepherd the flock of God, and they are to exercise oversight. You see that? And I want you to see that the word elder and shepherd and oversight, all three of these words are connected here in this verse. And it's the elders who are to shepherd and who are to exercise oversight of the church. Now, here's the interesting thing about this, is that the word shepherd is the same Greek word that we translate as pastor. And so elders are to pastor the flock and to exercise oversight. And this word oversight uh, is this word episkopos, which is where we get the word bishop. You guys tracking so far? So here's the connection. An elder is a pastor is a bishop. All three of these words refer to the same group of people. And so biblically, we can say it this way. A local church is to be led by a group of pastor elders. And so that's how we are led here at Grace Point Church. At Grace Point Church, we have what we call a plurality of elders, a group of elders, qualified men who lead out within the church. Now, here at Grace Point Church, we have um, what we call like full-time, uh, we have pastors who are part of the full-time staff, like who are on paid staff. We have Pastor Nick and myself and Pastor Ty and Pastor Terrence. Uh, and uh, we have what we call here lay elders, uh, which right now currently is Pastor Fred, uh, who is not part of the paid staff. Uh, and hopefully uh, going forward in the next several months, we will be adding more elders to this team. Uh, that is always our goal to have more elders stepping up or, or more men stepping up to lead the church in this way. So we have paid pastors, we have lay pastors, but I want you to understand this. 
We don't have levels of pastors here. There, um, we, we, um, pastor Fred, because he's not paid, just because he's not on staff, doesn't make him any less of a pastor. That there, here at Grace Point Church, there aren't different levels of pastors. It's not that staff pastors are more competent than, than lay elders. Uh, it, it just works out that way. Uh, but no pastor here is more important than one another. That really, we all as pastors, we oversee uh, different things within at Grace Point Church. Uh, like myself, I oversee the uh, area of discipleship and, and counseling here at the church. Pastor Nick, he oversees our operations. Pastor Terrence, he oversees our Sunday operations. Pastor Ty, he's usually the one up here. He oversees the preaching here at Grace Point Church. And while we all have different roles, amongst us, there is equality amongst the elders. And I want you to see kind of what this looks like here at Grace Point Church. We kind of have a 30,000-foot view kind of graphic of what the organizational chart looks like, if we can get that up there on the screen. It's coming. There we go. All right, so we see Jesus is our lead senior pastor. Uh, we're going to get to verse 4 in a minute, and it says Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the one that leads Grace Point Church. And so you can see the circle there. That's representative of all of Grace Point Church. So Jesus leads us all, uh, your pastors included. And so uh, among the church of Grace Point Church is a group of men, Pastor Terrence, Pastor Nick, Pastor Fred, Pastor Tim, and Pastor Ty. We all lead out together here at Grace Point Church under the lead pastor, Jesus. So what does it look like to be an elder? What qualifies someone to be an elder? Well, turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And scripture lays out very specific qualifications of what an elder uh, should be or what qualifies a person to be an elder. So I'm just going to read through here, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, uh, or he may be, uh, become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, I want you to see right here that this... Uh, writer uh, Paul of 1 Timothy lays out these qualifications for elders within the church. And really, for the sake of time, we don't have time to kind of go through every single one of these qualifications, but I want you to notice something about these qualifications as a whole. Did you notice something about those qualifications? That every single one of these qualifications has more to do with the pastor's character than their gifting and ability. One... Um, D.A. Carson, he's kind of like a pastor to pastors. Um, and he says this about this text. He says, the list is remarkable for being unremarkable. In other words, there is nothing about superior IQ, charisma, powerful personality, 
or the like. There's nothing in here that says a pastor has to have three to five years of experience before they become a pastor, or they must have an IQ above a certain amount, or they must be a a, a naturally gifted speaker, or they have to have a a, a seminary degree from a prestigious uh, college. None of those qualifications are listed. But if you look at this list of qualifications, um, really, uh, they're just very ordinary. And, And really, they're all things that we should aspire to just as Christ followers, right? And what, 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 the, what the writer is saying is, you know what, pastors, you have to be good at following Jesus. Be good at following Jesus. Have a good character. He's saying, like, how can you teach others to follow Jesus if you yourself are not following Jesus well? And in this, this list, he doesn't give us a list of all the things that pastors are supposed to do. Pastors, he gives us a list of things that we are supposed to be. So what the writer is saying is that a godly elder with mediocre gifts is far better than a charismatic leader with glaring moral flaws. I want to read that again. Godly elders with mediocre gifts is far better than a charismatic leader with glaring moral flaws. Now, I'm not saying that pastors should not work at their their giftings that God has given them to shepherd and lead the church. Uh, I'm not saying that we should just forsake those things. But at the same time, we should not spend more time developing our gifts and not developing our character. So this is who God has called to lead the church. Men who are good at following Jesus, who love Jesus well. Look back at verse 2. What is this group of men? What what is this group? How are they to do this? What are they called to do? Okay, Um, they're they're called by God. Uh, They they meet the qualifications. Now, what are are the elders supposed to do? Look back at verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And really, so God calls pastors. Pastors, God has called us to shepherd the flock of God, to have oversight over the flock of God. And we really can't begin to understand what Peter means in this text without really understanding John chapter 21. So go ahead and turn with me over to John chapter 21. As Peter is writing this letter to the elders or addressing the elders in this, I'm almost certain that he has this experience with Jesus in mind as he writes this. Look at John chapter 21, starting at verse 15. Uh, Jesus has died on the cross at this point. He has resurrected, uh, and he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven, and he's having a conversation with Peter. And it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my 
sheep. Three times Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep, tend his lambs. And I don't think it's accidental that Jesus asked Peter this question three times. Because what do we know about Peter? We know that shortly before this, right, Peter denied Jesus three times. And if you're sitting here and you're Peter, you're probably thinking that you're not one to be qualified for leadership. If you're going to deny Jesus, you would think that like, you're not qualified to lead his church. Maybe one of the other disciples who, who didn't deny Jesus would be better equipped to do that. But here, Jesus kind of, he pulls Peter aside and says, Peter, you are not defined by your three denials. You are defined by these three commands. She feed my sheep. And this is the background that that's, uh, that's frames what 1 Peter 5 is telling us. And when you begin to kind of understand that, it really begins to take on a deeper meaning for us as pastors. So Peter says to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And you wonder why he uses shepherding language here, because I don't know about you, uh, I'm not a shepherd. Uh, I've I don't even know a shepherd. Uh, and really, the only sheep I've been around is probably at a petting zoo. Uh, but I've never taken care of sheep in my life. So this, this metaphor kind of gets lost on us a little bit. It gets lost on me for sure. And so it, it, to make, it makes more sense if Jesus would say, you know, grow my portfolio or, um, you know, take care of this startup for me or just run, run this business while I'm gone. That seems more appropriate to our time today. But Jesus said, shepherd the flock of God. And I believe the reason why this, uh, this metaphor is used so much is because shepherding involves care. See, the primary work of a shepherd involves care. It is a work of love. It is a work of tenderness. It is a work of caring. It is a work of protecting and serving and building up. I want you to notice that he says, shepherd the flock that is among you. This is because a shepherd cannot lead, care, feed, and love the flock from a distance. That the shepherd can't sit back and just kind of bark orders from across the field, hoping that the sheep are going to go in the direction he wants them to go. And so a pastor has to be among the sheep. If you remember that graphic from a few minutes ago, where did we place the elders? Not above the sheep, not above Grace Point Church, but among the church. We are among the church and so as a pastor leads, cares, feeds, and protects and loves, where does he have to do this? Among the sheep. And so the role of an elder is a public role. It is a seen role. It is a known role. You need to know your pastor, and your pastor needs to know you. There is no such thing as a behind-the-scenes pastor. A pastor must be present with and among the people. This is why we at Grace Point Church encourage you as, um, as people who come to Grace Point Church to become covenant partners. One of the reasons why we want you to become covenant partners is because we want you to be known to us. Scripture says that one day that we are going to give an account for you, how we loved you, how we cared for you, how we shepherded you, how we guided you, how we protected you, how we served you. And if I'm going to stand before God one day, I want to make sure that I know who I'm giving an account for. 
And so one of the reasons why we say be a covenant partner is because we want to know who, I'm, who we are giving an account for. So pastors are to be among the flock. The next thing I want to point out that Peter makes very clear is who the flock belongs to. Like, who does Peter say the flock belongs to? You guys can answer. God, right. That, like, the, the flock belongs to God. Why does it, the flock belong to God and not us as pastors? Because God bought it. God bought the church with the precious blood of Jesus. Scripture says that, that we were bought with a price. And so this isn't Ty's church. This isn't Tim's church. It's not Nick's church. It's not Terrence's church. It's not Fred's church. No, this is God's church. And it says right there in verse 4 that he is the chief shepherd. We as pastors, we are just the under shepherds. And as under shepherds, it says that one day we will stand before God and give an account for how we led his church. So Peter calls elders to shepherd the flock of God. But Peter also tells us that as we shepherd the flock of God, he says that, that we have to do this for the right reasons. Like motives matter, right? Like why we do something, it matters. Uh, that really as a pastor leads, their heart has to be in the right place as they carry out what God has called them to do. And we understand, I hope we understand, that motives matter. That really a pastor can be devoted to the task of shepherding and overseeing the, the church, but have the wrong motivations as they do it. Look back at verse 2. What are these wrong motivations? He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, the first thing I want you to, to see when, when Peter says, shepherd the flock of God, is that, pastor, you are to do this willingly. That you're not to be forced to do this. You're not doing it under compulsion. You're not like, okay, if I have to. No, like this, like, pastors, you should be doing this willingly. And I think this is an incredible call because you have to remember the context in which Peter is writing this. Do you remember the context that, that, that Peter is writing this to a group of churches who are being persecuted for their faith? And so he's addressing the elders of these churches that are being persecuted, that are being insulted. Uh, and these, these are leaders of a persecuted church. So who do you think the persecution was going to begin with? the leaders of this group, the ones that are out front. Who is going to bear the weight of caring for these persecuted people? The pastors. Who's going to bear the brunt of the persecution? The elders. This is what they are being called to do, to, for that to hit them first. And Peter says you don't want a pastor who you're forcing to be in that position. That the, the pastor and elders should be, know that, like, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is your expectations, this is your responsibility, and you should do that willingly, not under coercion or being forced. Really, it means that elders should willingly and joyfully serve their church. Now, let's just pretend for a moment that Kate has asked me to do something for her, but I don't want to do what she has asked. But she won't let it go, and she won't stop asking me to do this until I finally just say, fine, I'll do it. Do you think Kate feels loved in that moment? 
No. Do you think uh, she felt like I sacrificed for her? No. Uh, and, and really, why did I do that? I felt forced into doing something I did not want to do. And the only reason why I did, it, I did it in the first place was not for her, but I did it for me so I wouldn't have to listen anymore. What, G, what Peter is really talking about this is he's really saying, be a happy elder. Be a happy elder. Serve with joy. Serve happily. Did you know that God wants happy elders for his church? God wants happy elders, not grumpy elders. Peter isn't saying this because of it's his personal preference. He goes on to say, he, look, he says, as God would have you. This is a unique part of the role. God would have you be a happy pastor. God wants happy pastors. Why does God want happy pastors? Because happy pastors reflect the character of the chief shepherd. That's why. Like, we are just to model what the chief shepherd looks like. And trust me, the chief shepherd wants to be known as a happy shepherd. He is. He takes joy and he delights in those that he leads and loves and cares for. I mean, church, do you guys want a happy pastor? Or do you want a miserable pastor? Like, trust me, you want a happy pastor. So a pastor should, the motivation for a pastor should do this to be willingly to do the work. He goes on to say and says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, this might be a little perplexing to you because, you know, on the top 10 ways to get rich, being a pastor is usually not on one of those, uh, uh, aren't on those lists. Uh, I took a finance uh, class in college, and uh, it never said the top 10 ways was to to, uh, grow your wealth was pastoring a church. But we do see pastors who grossly use the people for their own personal financial gain. And we pray against them, and we hope God, we know God will deal with them. But pastors are to serve eagerly, not greedily. Uh, Eagerly, not so that we can get something out of it. So pastors should never say, hey, what can I get out of this? Pastors should be always asking the question, what can the church get out of this? Now, this does not mean that pastors should not be compensated and it doesn't mean that, that, that pastors should be paid poorly. But what it does mean is that this should not be the moti- motivating desire for being a pastor. But shameful gain isn't just about financial benefits. Ministry and pastoring a church can be used for all sorts of wrong reasons. It can be used for public recognition, for developing a platform, for applause and accolades, um, pastoral ministries can be uh, pursued for because of a title or recognition or position or power, and it should never be used for these things. It's not what can I get out of this, it's what can the church get out of this. He goes on to verse 3. He says, not domineering, uh, not, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter says being an elder isn't about power. It's not about being me getting to be the one that tells people what to do. But he says you are to lead by example. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's like, follow me as I follow Christ. It's, it's so... Uh, have you ever had a, a, an attitude or a leader that had kind of the attitude of do as I say, not as I do? 
Or they wanted you to do something, but knowing that they would never do it themselves. Right? Did you, did you, did you think of them as a, as a good leader or someone who was just there to tell you what to do? And this is kind of what Peter's talking about here. He's saying if God has commanded the church or Christians to do something, and a pastor stands before you and says, hey, you are to do this, and the pastor is holding you accountable to what God says to do, but the pastor themselves isn't leading that out by living that way as well, Peter says that is a form of domineering. Peter says that is bad leadership. Peter says that is not, it does not do as I say, not as I do. Pastors should not be domineering. They should not be characterized by pride or selfishness or manipulation or threats or intimidation or power plays. But pastors are called to lead by example. We say, follow me as we follow Christ. I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon talks about as the, the demeanors of pastors. He says this, he says, I love a minister whose face invites me to make him my friend. A man upon whose doorstep you read, welcome, not beware of dog. Give me the man around whom children come. A man who has no geniality about him had better be an undertaker and bury the dead, for he will never succeed, succeed in influencing the living. A man must have a great heart if he would have a great congregation. When a man has a large, loving heart, men go to him as ships to a haven. Such a man is hardy in private as well as in public. His blood is not cold and fishy. I love that part. A fishy pastor. But he is warm as your own fireside. No pride and selfishness chill you when you approach him. He has his doors all open to receive you. And you are at home with him at once. Such men I would persuade you to be every one of you. And this is our aim as pastors. Pastors here at Grace Point Church, men who are aspiring to be as uh, who are aspiring to the office of elder. This is what God has called us to do. And then God says, if we do this well, that there is a reward for us in heaven. Look at verse 4. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And I love the word receive here, because this word receive here, it's not like, here you go, but it speaks of compensation for work performed. And it's just, it's just letting us know that even though while we're not here and we're not working for shameful gain, we're not in this for the money, but there should be a reality of I am storing up treasures in heaven. And Jesus says, you know what? I will compensate you for in heaven for the work that you do here on earth. And that is the unfading crown of glory. Now, that may not seem like uh, much to us here in this vernacular because we have no idea what Jesus has in store for us. But something tells me that Jesus pays really well. And it's going to be something that we are going to desire greatly when we get there. So this is for the elders here at Grace Point Church. This is how we elders are called to lead Grace Point Church. 
But I want you to hear, church, that this isn't just for the elders as well, that this has implications for you. So why should you as a church care about this? First, I want you to see that leadership in the church is a good thing. Like leadership in the church is a really good thing. This is what God has set up to make sure that you are cared for and to make sure that you are loved. Now, you may be here this morning and maybe you're a little cynical about church leadership. Maybe you've experienced bad leadership in your life and maybe you've experienced that in uh, the church. And maybe you, the type of leadership you experienced wasn't what Peter is laying out for us today. Maybe it was a domineering leadership. Maybe it was a, an absent leadership. Maybe it was an uncaring leadership. Can I just say to you, it's not supposed to be that way. It's not. That's not the example of Jesus. God did not intend for his church to be looked after and cared for in that way. But really what you see here in 1 Peter is what God intends for his church, for you to be cared for. See, God loves his church. And we know that by the way he laid down his life for the church. And God's love for his church He wants it to be demonstrated by those who lead his church. And so it is my prayer, Grace Point Church, that that we as elders lead you and care for you and serve you in this way. And it is our hope that you find Grace Point Church a place where you can heal maybe from bad leadership from before and you find good leaders here. Second, I would ask that um, you pray for us, that you pray for us daily. We need your prayer, that you would pray for us, that we would lead the church in this way. Trust me, pray for us because we need your prayer as leaders. We, We depend upon your prayers. And lastly, I would say, ask you, church, for you to encourage us. I don't want you to praise us. I don't want you to applaud us. I want you to encourage us. So I want to peel back the layers for just a little bit. And even though we are happy elders, sometimes we get discouraged. The enemy, just like everybody else, whispers in our ear and says, you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're failing your church. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. And we hear the whispers of the enemy as well. And so we rely upon your encouragement of us. We don't want your praise. We don't want your accolades. We want your encouragement. So how can you encourage us? Let me just give you some ways. You encourage us when you tell us that you are praying for us and our families. You encourage us when you tell us how God is working in your life. You encourage us when you express your love for Jesus and this church. And you encourage us when you tell us how God has used us in your life. When I think of this last one, I think of, um, I think of Marie Williams. I don't know if some of you know Marie. Uh, she's always usually sitting up here to my left. Uh, she's usually at the 11 a.m. She's always very vocal and amen and during the message and so encouraging. But just about after every message I have preached, she comes up to me and says, Son... I love how God used you today. 
And that is so encouraging to me because in that she recognized that it was not me, that it was all about God. But I got, but I got to be used by God in a particular way. That is encouraging. Church, can I just say your elders want to be this for you? We want to lead you in this way. We want to shepherd you in this way. We want to care for you in this way. We want to love you well. Elders, elder candidates, let me just say this to you. You can only lead this way. The way that God has called you to. The only way that you can lead this way is to stay close to the chief shepherd. And if you stay close to the chief shepherd... If you spend time working with him to develop your character, then you will serve gladly, you will serve eagerly, and you will serve by example. Let's pray. Father, we we love you. And we know that you loved us because you sent your son Jesus to sacrifice himself for us. Not because he had to, but merely because you loved us. Not because we are special, but just because of you and your character. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for the people of Grace Point Church. Thank you for their love for us as leaders. Father, I just just pray that as leaders, you would just help us to love well, to shepherd well. Not domineering, but by being an example that we would not do this for shameful gain, that we would not do this for uh, applause and approval of men, but that we would stand before you one day and we could hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Father, we just ask that you as, as leaders, as elders, as pastors of this church, that you would give us the strength and ability and humility to lead in this way. And so Father, we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.